chat, converse, rant, rave, whatever you call it. Do it on the talk shop, only on SAFM. We're talking drug addiction in South Africa. Now, it's said that drug abuse costs South Africa about 20 billion rand a year. Yet we seem to be... We seem to be left behind when it comes to the fight against drug abuse. We'll look at drug addiction and why it's easier for it to to increase rather than decrease, especially when there's such a stigma attached to it. So do companies have policies that address issues of addiction? When we, when we talk about drug addiction, the first thing that comes to mind are drugs like the cheaper drugs, so nyaupe, tick marijuana. But how much thought is actually given to uh, working professionals who are also addicts. Um, I'm in studio now with David Bayeva, who's the deputy chairperson of the Central Drug Authority. David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to have you with us. And then also on the line is Andrew Stoller, the coastal director of the Anti-Drug Alliance. Andrew, good evening. Welcome to the talk shop. Good evening. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, you're not also the founder of Home Detox SA? Unfortunately, I'm not involved with that organization anymore. Oh, okay. Now, what is it that the Anti-Drug Alliance actually does? And I ask this question because there seemingly are so many uh, bodies that deal with drug addiction in the country, and I wonder if there's uniformity in the work that you do. Well, what we do at Anti-Drug Alliance is we're we're quite uh, instrumental in helping companies develop their uh, drug policies within their company as to how to deal with substance misuse in their organizations when it comes to actually having to deal with employees. Hmm. Ah, okay. So there's what you do. And and the the Central Drug Authority, David? Well, the Central Drug Authority is a statutory body appointed by the Department of Social Development, the Minister of Social Development, and we function with a mandate given to us by the Act. And we are the coordinating body for all activities within all the different government departments, within NGOs, and we try and stakeholders working in the field, giving them direction. This is through the National Drug Master Plan, which is the blueprint for the country accepted by Cabinet, and that is what the foundation is for policies to go forward. Okay, so so you can give me a a more broader outlook on, on what the situation really looks like. You... You, were, you And you've been quoted a few times as saying that 15% of the South African population hmm. is, is, are drug addicts. Well, the problem is, when it comes to statistics, it's a very, very difficult issue. We are dependent on people who are coming forward and looking for rehabilitation. We are dependent on figures that are given to us by the, the SARS and the SAPs in relation to the seizures that are made. We are given statistics from various organizations who are working in the field, and it's our responsibility to try and coordinate all of those bits of information and then come up with a figure. So while we we believe that we are pretty accurate in our assumption, we must also recognize that we are only looking possibly at the tip of the iceberg because we are not sure Mm. how many people are still in the closet and haven't come forward looking for help, how many people there are that would actually want help but because of the stigma associated with it, are not coming forward. Right, right. You've, I ask that because you've had, you know, some, a few articles, in fact, written that, you know, really tried to contest that 15%, saying that it is an over-exaggeration, in fact. I think that we're pretty close to the real figure. Yeah. Uh, you, you've also talked about, I mean, let's talk about what, what drugs actually cost us in South Africa when we talk rands and cents here. Well, There again, we've got two different statistics that we have to look at. We have to look at the direct costs, and we have to look at the indirect costs. If we're looking at direct costs, we're talking in a region of about 20 million per annum. 
when we're looking at 20 the, billion. Yeah, 20 million. Million, okay. When we're looking at the indirect costs, which are other things that then can be added on afterwards, then it goes much higher than that, and we're looking more in the region of 32. But the problem that we're talking about here is how do we quantify that amount as well? Mm. Because there are so many different components to the problem that we're having to deal with. Like, for example, repatriation of people from who have been um, arrested in foreign countries. Mm. Th- th- these are difficult figures to quantify. Yeah. Um, so the, the, the figure goes a lot higher than that if you factor and, all of and, that and in. And that's why I'm saying that we're probably very conservative in the actual figure that we're using. Now, you, you spoke to my producer earlier, and Andrew, I'll bring you in after this question, but you spoke to my producer earlier and talked about the approach that we really should be using in dealing with drugs in South Africa. In fact, mm-hmm. I believe you said we should be relaxing. Oh, it was Andrew, wasn't you? It was Andrew who said we should be relaxing uh, some of our laws on how we deal with drugs. Andrew, is that true? What do you mean? Uh, Well, when we're talking about stigma and perception, I think it's more of a relaxation on the way in which we actually look at people and the reasons why they are actually using and misusing uh, substances that are the the key drivers on this one. You know, especially with the work that you do, Andrew, I think it's, it's, it's a very dangerous thing to, to, it's a very dangerous statement to make and maybe you need to um, elaborate on that a little bit more. We have this new drug on the market, it's called the cheaper cocaine, it's called um, CAT, uh, very popular here in Gauteng, it's called Ndash in a lot of townships as well. It's a you know, powder form, also like cocaine, that is in fact being used by working professionals. So the idea that drug abuse was something that happened on the street corners by you know, the homeless or, or destitute is, is in fact starting to change. So I- explain what you mean by relaxation. So... Just to take a couple of steps backwards, uh, the, the, the problem is manifesting itself in the way in which it's affecting productivity within organizations. Absenteeism on the Monday mornings and the, uh, Fridays with people not actually be coming to work. So companies are being almost forced to actually have to be able to go and have to have a policy which is able to deal with the situation. And we must understand that drugs are illegal in this country and there is a right for companies to be able to have to be able to manage it on that basis. But the the, the driver of this is our environment and the stresses that the people in South Africa are going under through the multitude of different variables that are causing stresses for people these days, financial being one of them, uh, is causing people to need to actually feel like they need to medicate against that stress. And people are using popular street drugs and cats being an affordable version of cocaine, which is why it's now becoming more accessible to uh, individuals within the workplace, is starting to prove to be popular because Mm. it's helping people, people believe or perceive that they are actually then helping themselves manage their stress cope with the pressures that they have to use in terms of meeting their deadlines and everything that they need as far as being able to function in their job. Yeah, I, I hear a bit of a chicken and egg scenario here where we talk about the environment influencing addiction in South Africa and then, and then there's also the argument that no, addiction is influenced by the availability of drugs. Which one is it for you, David? It's a very, very complex issue. Hmm. When we're talking about the, um, the whole issue around substance abuse and substance use disorders, 
we're talking about a biopsychosocial economic problem that we have to deal with. It's dependent on the makeup of the person. It's dependent on the environment that they find themselves in. It depends on the social economic system that they're working within. Have they got a job? Can they find a job? Mm. Have they got a track record that prohibits them from being employed? And these are all the problems that all compound the whole issue. At the end of the day, what we understand is that there's a lot of despondency amongst people in the marketplace, a lot of people who are not finding jobs, a lot of scholars, learners that are graduating and can't get jobs, and this creates a despondency from them where they're looking for something which will just give them a little bit of relief, something to really put a smile on their face for a change. Mm. And this is readily available. Whichever environment you're in, you'll find someone who is able to supply you with a drug. And that changes the way the person is feeling, albeit just for a short period of time, whether it be a drink that they have, which just lifts them, gives them a little bit of euphoria for a short period of time. But depending on the makeup of that person, will they then become dependent on the drug and carry on using, or they just say, well, that satisfies me for the moment, Mm. I'm okay from here on. Yeah, you see, this is where we need to come back to the points that I said were made by by Andrew earlier about what we're doing from a a policy point of view and how we deal with drugs. And there have been various other organizations that have sat on that very chair that you're sitting on now. In fact, if we had legalized drugs in South Africa, we'd be able to control what goes in and out of our communities and then we'd have a better control over addiction. That is also debatable. Mm. Um, the legalization of drugs is not necessarily the only solution to the problem. I think that education is probably the more important one. But I must support Andrew in what he's saying where we've got the issue around people being absent from work, um, not wanting to come to work on a Monday morning. Mm. And the problem that we have there is that very often they would be prepared to go for help if there wasn't the possibility of them being stigmatized and also arrested mm. for being in possession or under the influence of drugs. This stops them from seeking help at, in the first instance. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's, if it's the right question to ask, though, the question I asked earlier. Do companies have policies that address issues of, of addiction? Again, this goes back to what we say were so many other things, especially when we talk wellness of employees, we want to put the responsibility of companies and say, you do something about it, when in fact, maybe what we should be doing is talking about policy. But let's, let's take your calls, 0891104207, we're looking at drug addiction in South Africa. What are some of the ideas that, that you've thought about on how we tackle drug abuse in our communities? It's getting to really scary levels where, um, you know, and, and I said this earlier, we have this perception that drug users are not functional members of society, and that is quickly changing. Uh, so what, in fact, do we do? 891 to give me a call or send SMSs to 34701. Our best conversations are the ones we have with you. Call us on 0891-104-207. Tweet at SAFM Radio or SMS 34701. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. That number again, 0891-104-207. If you'd like to be part of our discussion, we're talking drug addiction in South Africa and what exactly we should be doing. Is it conversations with, with, with the corporate environment? Is it, is it conversation with policies? Um, and surely we should be talking about families as well. It's, it's, it's a very much a family problem, and I see you nodding when I say that, David. Absolutely. I think, unfortunately, what very often happens is, particularly our youth, are getting mixed messages mm. from what goes on in the home. 
The mm. father comes home after a bad day at the office and says, pour me a double. Mm. So what message is the youth getting from the example set by peers? And that's one of the problems that we have. It's not the only problem. It's the fact that, to some extent, families condone substance abuse. Like, for example, we'll have a glass of wine on the table, mm. but you can only drink when you're at home. Now, what message is that giving to the child? So, you know, th these are the problems that we have. We have dysfunctional families as well, mm. where children are brought up in an environment where it's the norm for someone to be drunk every weekend. Mm. That's the example that they've been given, and that's how they've been brought up. So the functions in the family and the importance of the family looking at themselves is vitally important. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. You, you look at um, what happens on South African weekends. And <laughs> Thursday already. Absolutely. South Africans are starting to drink, and, and then we say it's a joke. Puza Thursday, that's what it is. But yeah. it becomes this, this expected lifestyle that we're leading. Um, I'm going to take a few calls, but maybe let's, let's talk with you, Andrew, about... Um, a few suggestions on what companies should do. And again, you've got now an employer who's listening and says, why is this my problem? So we've mentioned here the functionality, and, so, and that is key to the situation here now. The only time that you'll get into trouble in a company is when you're starting to be dysfunctional and not able to actually perform the job that you're actually employed to do. Mm. And this is becoming more and more and more apparent. The problem is there's a lot of companies that don't have anything that is stipulated in the way of a policy within the company as to what the actions need to be in order for them to be able to deal with the situation when it comes about. Mm. <coughs> and there is, two, there is two elements to this. There is the employee and their privacy and their right to be able to be able to handle themselves in the way that they do. And then there is uh, how they have to function at work. Unfortunately, the lines are very, very, very blurred mm. because somebody that's having a night before will come to work and not be able to necessarily function to their optimum levels of the next day. Mm. So when there is a clearly defined policy in place within the company that suggests if X, Y, and Z happen, then this is the implications and this is the procedures that are now come in place, then the employees will need to be very well informed as to what that policy is to start off with. If they're new employees, it will be part of their uh, employment contract when they join the company, or it is something that is communicated to the company as a whole that says in the event of these being the situation, this is what happens. Hmm. And drug testing comes into the situation, but the companies are misusing this, and there's people within the companies, so the HR department will then actually go and do the drug testing. And it's actually not possible, it's not legal for that in the way of a yeah. CCMA hearing or that it's something that's done internally because that opens up a whole can of worms in terms of political agendas mm. and you might want to be not having that person employed in your company. So independent organizations such as ourselves at Anti-Drug Alliance need to be able to be come in to be able to go and do specific random drug testing that will enable to identify areas where people are uh, at risk as far as their employment is concerned or be able to verify that the concerns of the company is actually valid. But I see some concern in your face. Is there, I mean, are there legal implications to doing that? There's a constitutional court ruling that has just been made in terms of random drug testing and that has been declared as illegal. 
this is contrary to the Constitution, as mm-hmm. been just recently ruled in the Constitutional Court. So it does open up a whole lot of other issues. But at the same time, the workplace needs to be a safe environment for all workers. And where you've got a team of people working and one member of the team is under the influence and then could compromise the other members of the, the team, one has got to look at that. So Andrew is correct in saying that the responsibility for the employer to make sure that everybody is safe is absolutely vital. There is another issue, of course, that we need to start looking at, and that is in terms of the change in mindset in relation to how we view substance abuse and whether this isn't perhaps a mental health illness which can be treated and to what extent are the companies then going to support those people the same as they would support anybody else with an illness. Sure. Again, another responsibility that we put on the shoulders of, of, of employers. Let's just hear from our callers. 0891-104-207. Dr. Rabidi is on the line in, in Cape Town. Doctor, good evening. Hi there. Good evening to you mm. and, to your, and, and to your guests. Uh, look, I've been doing drug addiction for over 20 years in my practice. I work in a low-income area, and I've come across lots of problems, and I'd like to focus on some of the things that we're not looking at. Mm. And I'm very glad, and I must commend you for running a program like this. The first thing that we need to look at is we need to seriously look at decriminalization. The World Health Organizing has come out clearly in favor of decriminalization and the difference between decriminalization and legalization. Addicts or substance users should not be treated as criminals. They just become a statistic where the police is concerned. You have one stop of DACA, one stop of amphetamine and you're locked up in jail and all that happens is a vicious cycle you get inducted by gangsters you get exposed to more drugs your life is ruined Mm. drug addiction i need to state very clearly is a disease it is not for the courts to deal with it's not for lawyers to deal with it's for the medical profession and lots of other paramedical disciplines to take care of this individual and i can give you evidence of what has happened in portugal they took the brave step they had about I think uh, a million or uh, or 100,000 heroin addicts, they took the brave decision to decriminalize. What that simply meant, if you were caught with a problem with addiction, you were taken to a treatment center. Ma'am, in from 2001 to 2013, they dropped their addiction rate by 50%. They made methadone, which is uh, opioid replacement therapy, free and made it available. And, and we're not doing this. In America, this is a trend. Mm. In here in Africa, there's about four countries, Botswana, Tanzania, even in India, where drug addiction is decriminalized. I can tell you one thing, what's happening in this country. The, the, the young users who use drugs will be in court. They are merely there for statistics for the police to say, this is how many people we got. But you're not dealing with the problem. You get one kid, you put him into jail, and it costs the country 6,000 rands to keep him in jail. And he's getting no proper treatment, whereas you could put him into low income, uh, uh, yeah, a low expense, uh, halfway out, so as little as a thousand. I'm, I'm assisting these rehabs to, to containerize these people for just a thousand. So if we change the shift from criminalization to decriminalization, we can make a big difference. Yeah. With regards to the government, I'm glad you have somebody from the social service. I've been banging my head for the last 10 years. I've developed a very simple program which is different from the AA's 12 step. It's easy to read for young school learners. I've spoken to the Department of Social Welfare. I've spoken to the Department, the Health Department. All they do is they listen to you. 
but they pay no attention to you. They keep asking for evidence-based. It's very difficult to give evidence-based because nobody... Explain the program, though, Doctor. How does it work? How does your program work? It's basically, as, uh, as the Department of Social Science, I don't know his name, but the, 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 the treatment for addiction is education. It is not drugs. I cannot say it loud enough. So what my program really does, it educates people, it changes their mind shift from wanting to rely on drugs. There's only two reasons. Somebody said on your program that people don't know why people take drugs. It's quite simple. I agree with the, the doctor who was a great friendly in, in, in Portugal. done a lot of work in addiction. And I subscribe to you, people drug for two reasons, for pleasure or displeasure. In other words, you want the happiness of an enormous, like a bipolar patient rate, then you'll take drugs. And if you're feeling down in the dumps and you are familiar with drugs, you, you will take drugs to get out of displeasure. Hmm. So what actually happens, you fail to learn normal methods of how to overcome your challenges, your problems. You do not see fun in doing normal everyday activities that you and I would like to do, like walking on the beach, taking a job. For these people, there's a different level. If you can put it on a scale of 1 to 10, if we normal people are happy with a scale of 2 for happiness, no, these guys want it on cloud number 9. And that is the problem. So what my program deals with, it changes that behavior thinking. And, and my booklet is available. It's free of charge to go to my website because I want to tackle this thing. Well, give us the, give us the website. We're listening, Doctor. Give us the website. It's drrepeaty.com. And uh, they can download the book because it's free of charge. I wrote it in very simple language. All the books that you read on addiction are complicated. I work in a drug use center where 90% of those inmates are there for drug-related crimes. Mm. And then they have committed murder. They have killed five or six people. And these are not murderers. They're not, really. They were under the influence of drugs. They were inducted into gangs. There was, a gun was shoved into their hands. And they were told, you want your drugs, or you go and kill. You don't kill, we kill you. Mm. And these yeah. kids have no escape route. And right. yeah. me, Doctor, thanks, thanks for calling. You've, you've made some really valid points. Dr. D.R. Rapiti, that's the website, so drrapiti.com if you want to see some of his work. Um, I just need to take more calls. Quinton is in Johannesburg. Quinton, you're, you're actually CEO, CEO of the Anti-Drug Alliance. Thanks for calling. That's right. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I'm loving what, uh, you, you know, uh, both what uh, David's saying and obviously Andrew, I'm biased, you, you work for me. <laughs> uh, but um, I, think, uh, I think the point that we need to make is that the, the, the single biggest threat to drug users, and, and I'm going to use that term users because addiction is a very complex issue and I'm sure David is there sh- uh, sort of nodding his head as well. But uh, the single biggest threat to drug users that we have at the moment is not actually the drug, but the threat of being arrested. Um, because as soon as you're arrested it, uh, and you get a, uh, a criminal record against your name, it really minimizes your chances in life mm. further on. Um, and, and this is what we're trying to do. That's why we have to look at, um, you know, even the CDA has said, and, and David will have to agree with us, that decriminalization is, is something we need to look at. Um, because... What we're seeing is uh, working with, with corporate companies and, and uh, also in many, many communities as well is that um, as soon as somebody is uh, found to have a drug problem, they're stigmatized and mm. stigmatized very, very badly. And, um, in fact, a lot of times we work with companies not 
to 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 let the people go, but in fact to to get them help. Yes, we've got treatment programs as well. We help them successfully. Yes, but I think the the, the problem is is that most um, companies out there don't actually understand uh, the term addiction, and what we're seeing a lot of is this is going to sound terrible, but we, we are seen it in, in so many instances where a, uh, a staff member comes in and says he has a drinking problem mm. and the company is more than willing to help him. They, 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 they put him through, the, through a program, they, they'll pay for it, it's no problem. But as soon as a staff member comes in and notes that he has a problem, within a week or two weeks he's fired for something completely unrelated. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the stigma, the stigma is the real issue here. Quinton, thanks for calling. Mm. Um, Thank you. So here's this this word coming up again: decriminalize, decriminalize. And now I'm thinking, where are where where are the lobbyists? Where are the organisations that are that are, that are you know shouting from the rooftops that that we should then decriminalize? It's not enough to have this discussion here with me. ZD's on the line in Durban. ZD, good evening. Good evening to you, my lady, and your guest. Mm. Very good views, a nice topic. And because it's such an, uh, so often that we have people, every second person, as your client said, is like on drugs. And uh, I think the law is making enough money out of drug addicts. I'll tell you, I read an article recently in the press, in the local papers, and it states here the police was watching the young lad who got off the taxi and went up to the drug dealer and bought, purchased the drugs, and then he watched the transactions between the drug dealer and the, and the purchaser. But uh, the the person who smokes it. Mm-hmm. But what he did, he followed. The, he didn't apprehend the drug dealer, but rather he followed the the, the purchaser the into user. the taxi mm-hmm. and removed the purchaser from the taxi and and find him a thousand and and you know he was fined a thousand rands. Now I, I find it so ridiculous that the person who the drug dealer was not apprehended by the uh, by the Phoenix police station, but rather the the, the user was apprehended. Sure. Now I'm so shocked. You know when I read this article, I felt and the magistrate gave him a thousand rand fine, and I think the money is made, and he's a first time offender and uh, a second time offender. But I'm surprised. Mm. I'm surprised that you know nobody is doing anything about it. Yeah, then our priorities are all. We, we need to go toy toy. We need to go take down the roads, take the streets, and and show uh, show our solidarity to these, uh, you know, uh, to the people, uh, uh, to the drug uh, peddlers and drug users. But it's not a court matter. I always say this on the, every radio show. It's not a court matter. As your guest said, it's nothing to do with the courts. It's nothing to do with the police station, but they're just making money for the government. That's all. Yeah, Thank, Thank you so calling. much. Now, if you remember El Dorado Park where there was a community that said, it's enough, we're not going to do this, we're not going to put up with this anymore. There was, there was community activism. Absolutely. But then, when the media noise died down, the drug addicts were back in the community. The, the, drug, um, the, the drug sellers, rather, the mm. drug dealers, were back in the community. So there's something that we're doing wrong. And I, I like this. See, the, the example that she made about how we, the, pursu- the, the police will pursue the user and not the dealer. So when we talk decriminalizing, where are the boundaries? Okay. I'd like to give you a little bit of information so that perhaps we can understand what the Central Drug Authority is doing in terms of this whole debate around decriminalization. Mm. We work with a National Drug Master Plan, which sets out the blueprint for all government departments and how the different departments have to work dealing with this common problem It's a common thread that runs through all the different social ills that we have in the country, and therefore every department has a role to play. One of the things that we have recognized is 
in designing the new National Drug Master Plan, which will come into place in 2018, and we're already starting to redesign the new National Drug Master's Plan, mm. is looking at this very issue. We have also taken the lead from international markets, call them the international markets, where we are seeing approaches that are changing internationally, and we're taking our lead from the United Nations. Mm. There's just been an, um, a, a commission of the United Nations where the whole issue around substance abuse and the misuse, whatever you want to call it, has been addressed. There's a mindset that we have to change, mm. and that is that this is a disease. As Dr. Rapiti said, I said it earlier as well, we need to start recognizing that there are certain people, not for all, but there are certain people who suffer with a brain disease order. So a predisposition a predisp to addiction. Correct. Yeah. Anybody knows that I can have a drink, you can have a drink, and we say, well, that's it, thanks very much, we're going home. Mm. A person with the disease will become the person who becomes the alcoholic. So what is the difference between them? And that is related to the brain reward system, where in certain instances the brain looks at the reward that it's getting from the use of the drug because of the person's own low self-esteem, because of the environmental area that they find themselves in, the brain reminds you that you can change the way you're feeling by just using more of the drugs. Mm. Now, this requires treatment like any other disease. We can treat a person who's got asthma. We can treat a person who's got diabetes. We can treat a person who's got high blood pressure. We can't cure it, but we can manage it. Mm. In exactly the same way, we can manage this condition that we're talking about over here for those people who it's appropriate for. And that is one of the real realisms that we've now come to understand. In order to be able to treat these people, we need to get the courts to understand that there's no point in putting them in jail. Yeah. We don't treat patients in jail. We treat patients in a program. We treat patients in a rehabilitation center. So the, the mindset from the justice system also needs to recognize that there's a need for a change in how we're going to deal with this problem going forward. Mm. Taking examples, the best examples that we've got from international arenas that we're working with and that we're taking our lead from as well. This is all being dealt with and um, explored as input for the new National Drug Master Plan. Mm. We aren't the ones that can implement it, but we are certainly going to make the different departments aware of the new approaches that we need to be looking at. In order to do that, we've engaged already with the Justice Cluster in order to look at how we can deal with this problem. The issue of the low-hanging fruits being the easiest to catch, mm. the example from Phoenix, absolutely, the dealer was probably protected. Mm. whereas the user wasn't, mm. and he's the low-hanging fruit, so it's so much easier to just arrest him and to have our statistics looking good in terms of the number of arrests that are done on a daily basis. Mm. These are all the issues that we are busy looking at and addressing in order to come up with something which is perhaps more realistic in dealing with the problem that we have in the country. Yeah, yeah. so listen, we need to look at that national drug master plan, but I guess we'll do that maybe next year or, or the year afterwards. Certainly. Um, in SMS here, employees can't afford to take six to ten months off for rehab. Should the state, advised by the Central Drug Authority, not consider home treatment options because Sanka is already overloaded? The Sanka Center in Dipklof, Soweto, is a white elephant. People are told to wait for two months before they can get help, and while they wait, while they wait, there is no form of help. 
Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. But I, let's 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 come back to you, Andrew, and just respond to firstly that SMS, and then the employer that's listening and says, "Okay, what do you want me to take from this discussion?" Um, there's an employee of mine on a Monday. This person comes to work reeking of alcohol and, and and does not function. Or in some cases, we know that someone is a drug addict, but we how do you approach someone and say, "Are you a user?" So. What are some of the things that employers should take from this discussion? If I can take it now, a step backward and just comment on what David is saying, sure. I really do applaud him in terms of being able to say that there is a shift in mindset that needs to occur in order for the stigma not to become as apparent as it is. But within our organization, Anti-Drug Alliance, we have a treatment program which is outpatient-based, which is about working with that person for a period of time, uh, one-on-one with them only. So it doesn't require somebody to have to go and take 30, 60, 90 days out of their life in Mm. order to be able to go and uh, receive treatment because we actually believe that by taking somebody out of their environment, it creates a false sense of security for the individual and they're not actually getting to actually deal with their problems real time while the problems are happening within their lives. When you're working with that individual real time in terms of they are having the arguments with their wife. They are facing the stresses of having to go and deal with their bosses at work. And whatever the myriad of the uh, reasons and the external factors are as to what's causing them their need to medicate using the drugs, then you can actually get a handle on what's happening with that individual. So to hear him say that, to hear David say that this is something that is more of a mental health issue certainly helps the matter but it still doesn't help stop the problem of the mm. stigma because as much people suffering from anxiety and depression are getting as stigmatized within the work environment for being able to have to go and deal with that as much as they are going to have to deal with substance abuse. Mm. So it's a real huge shift, and I really do applaud the fact that the CDA is coming along and saying that they are shifting their policy in the way that they are. But in terms of being able to get people to accept that Life is tough, and we have problems, and the manner in which people deal with their problems is not proving to be effective in them helping themselves, and this is how our program works, in that it's a one-on-one. It doesn't have anything to do with other than the fact that, yes, you have problems in your life. Let's go and help you fix those. And so you're teaching people life skills. Mm. Yeah, and, and enabling just, them and empowering them to be able to actually deal with so that So this problem. is what I'm going to do, Andrew. I'm going to share your, your contact details, so the Anti-Drug Alliance's website in a moment. But just quickly, the employers listening. There needs to be a formal policy in place. Hmm. If there is no policy that determines this is the courses of actions that need to happen when you come across the variable factors, be it absenteeism or danger to other employees at the time in the workplace as to what actually needs to happen then in the event that that happens, that clearly needs to be defined. Yeah. If it's not defined, it leads to a whole lot of the problems exactly like we're talking about on the program. Okay. Well, the, the great thing about your website is you guys have your your, your, your um, cell phone numbers on here, so I'm going to give those out. Is that all right? Absolutely perfect. Okay, so in Joburg, for to get in touch with the Anti Drug Alliance, call Quinton on 0815777715. Again, 0815777715. If you're in Cape Town, call Andrew 0724008239. If you're in KZN, call Bernard on 061. 
0614730241 or email info at antidrugalliance.com, their website antidrugalliance.com. 